Good morning, everybody. Glad to see you all here. Glad to see you online. Glad you are there and doing that. You know, over the last, uh, I don't know, I guess it was a couple years ago. I, I didn't quite register it in my mind when it started, but uh, someone made a decision to redo the landscaping on Moulton Parkway. I don't know if any of you noticed that, but it was kind of not all that great before. And then over the course of, seemed like almost a year, uh, they worked on getting it, uh, all kinds of, uh, you know, irrigation and whatever. And then finally they planted uh, trees and shrubs and whatever else. And, and uh, as I drive up to, pull, them to the, pull into the parking lot, uh, every now and then I'll go, wow, look at the trees have grown a little bit. The vegetation's a little bit fuller and it's looking good. And, and then I walk in, drive in one day to our church parking lot and I go, hey, we're redoing the landscaping here. And so that's all been done and it's beautiful and, and, and I'm excited to see how it progresses and grows over the course of time. And as I thought about growing and maturing, um, I thought about our mission as a church, honoring God by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. The idea there is that there's a, as a direction, there's a progression, there's a maturity, like you would see of plants or trees that have been planted, and it continues to grow, and it becomes more fully developed. And, and the question that came to my mind is like, well, how do we do that? How do we uh, fulfill or carry out our mission? And one of the ways is through life groups. It's through life groups, and uh, they move us towards spiritual maturity. The idea is that they're to help us grow. In our knowledge of God's word and in our relationship with other people within this amazing church. And so our sermon-based life groups, as I like to think of it, it's like Velcro. They Velcro us to God's word. They Velcro us to deeper relationships with one another. And as that happens, we continue to grow and they're central to everything we do. And we've had to shift in 2020. Oh, that was last year, right? Uh, to go online. We don't have to do that anymore, right? Because all is good, right? Oh, wait, no, we're, we're still going to be online with life groups, and so that's happening as well, whether we're in person or meeting online, uh, to study God's word, to learn, and we get to share from one another, learn from one another, pray for one another. The fact is, is that life is better together, and that's why when everything hit with COVID, we thought, well, how do we continue to meet? How do we continue to make this happen? And there were some challenges, but we figured it out, and a number of people in our church helped us with that and getting that going, and, and now we're using Zoom and, and WebEx to, to get that, and we're going to continue to meet virtually despite COVID-19, because life groups, well, it's the topic that Pastor Mike asked me to speak on today and, and to remind us of how important it is, because the week of January 17th was just a week away from today. I know that day because it's my daughter's birthday, uh, is when our winter quarter begins for a life groups. It's when grow time begins, as I like to think of it. And so today I want to remind you of how life groups uh, can help you grow in your walk with God. I want to remind you and let you be uh, encouraged but how they can move you towards spiritual maturity, how they can help you grow, and ultimately how they can help you become more fully devoted followers of Christ. And so with that, I invite you to take out your Bible or digital device and open your Bible to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And I'm calling this the call to spiritual maturity. Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to look at verses 11 through verse 12 of chapter 6. 
So if you've got your Bible or digital screen or whatever you're looking at, uh, pull that out. Look at that. Pull that up as I take out the ants that are apparently crawling on my lectern this morning. <laughs> He's been sacrificed. So uh, that's how it goes. Uh, so are you there? All right, let's, let's just look at verse 11 first, and then we'll read through the rest of it here in a moment. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of learning. Man, wouldn't you like to have that arrive in your mail, that that's the letter? I'd like to tell you more, but you're dull. You're slow to learn. About this, we have much to say, which led me to ask the question, what is this about? What is this about? It's about the supremacy of Christ. And that's really the theme that rides through the book of Hebrews is about the supremacy of Christ. Now, Hebrews, you might have a clue there. It's been written to Jews, so they're Hebrews, right? And what he's brought out this so far, the writer who we don't know exactly who wrote Hebrews, but what they've brought out so far is about the supremacy of Christ. That, that Christ himself, that Jesus is greater than the angels, that he's greater than Moses, that, that he's greater than any priest. That he's greater than the old covenant. Again, the supremacy of Christ. And the writer, the writer has much to say about the heavenly priesthood of Christ that continues now on in heaven, which he began in chapter 4, verse 14. And he's going to pick it up again in verse or, or chapter 7. But he pauses for a moment. Again, there is much I could say. But I got to, as I like to think of it, pull the car over and have a discussion with you about something before I can go there. And right up in this context, in these verses, he's been talking about this guy named Melchizedek. Uh, I don't know if any of you have named your, your kids Melchizedek or anybody know, but it's kind of a cool name. Uh, my family and I were kind of laughing, laughing about the idea of that name. But it means king of righteousness. That's what the mean, meaning of Melchizedek means it also he was the king of Salem also the king of Jerusalem is what that's referring to and we don't know a whole lot about him but he shows up and he appears to Abraham in the book of Genesis he, he comes in is seen there and then he's never seen again in the rest of the film if you will that's it that's the scene that he's in and what he does is he bestows Melchizedek bestows a amazing blessing Upon Abraham. And Abraham wins a battle as a result of that. And Abraham's response then is to come back to Melchizedek and offer a tenth, a tithe, if you will, back to him, and basically marking him as, as a priest or as in the line of, of, of the priesthood. And so he's a man now viewed as a foreshadow of Christ uh, to come, of the eternal king of righteousness the priesthood of righteousness. And so about this, Melchizedek in the kingdom and about Christ's supremacy, well, it's hard to explain as the verse continues. It's hard to explain. The richness, the significance, the superiority, the supremacy of Christ, the significance of his death and all that he's done and he as acting as our great high priest. And the challenge is, to explain this, it's not because the teacher, the writer, can't explain it, can't communicate it. It's the audience. It's the recipients who are getting this letter, who are, are listening to this. And here's the reason. The verse continues. 
It's because you have become dull of hearing. So there's much I'd like to say, but it's hard to explain. The reason why it's not me, it's you guys have become dull of hearing. Or you might have a translation that says slow to learn. And so as I thought about that, I thought, you know, about this new landscaping and the progress that's going on. And so for some believers, there's spiritual progress. We can see growth. You can look in your own life and reflect on it and go, man, there's been growth. But, but then there's some, um, a small amount, that there's not growth. There's not progression. And that's kind of one of the interesting things as I drive and pay attention to as a detailed person to go, oh, that one's doing really well. That plant, that tree is not doing as well. And that's what's happening here as he writes this letter. The reason why is that some were drifting away from God's word. That's what chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 talk about. And some were doubting God's word. So some were drifting, some were doubting God's word, some were doing both. That's what chapter 3, verses 7 to 4, 13 talks about. And so the result of that is that they're dull of hearing. The Greek word there is nothros. It's dull or slow to learn. That's how it's translated in verse 11. That same Greek word is used in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 6 for lazy or sluggish. So they're not getting it or they're just like, oh, I'm out of it. I can't do it, you know, in verse 12. So that's how that word can be translated. The point here is that some believers have become spiritually apathetic and lazy. In other words, their spiritual growth had been halted. You could tell that out by them. And that's what he's pulling the car over to bring this out. So again, back to our mission statement of becoming fully devoted followers of Christ. It's possible for any of us to fall short of that mission. If we're honest, if we're humble, and we go, yeah, I may fall short of that mission and become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's, That's the goal. That's what we're after. But it might be challenging at times to fulfill that. But see, that's why we have life groups, to help us, (laughs) to help us move along with the knowledge of God's word and obedience of God's word. Life groups are for everyone. It doesn't matter whether you just came to know Christ. We're still going to say, hey, get in a life group and pick up and join in and start learning. Open your Bible, start reading, learning, studying, sharing, praying. And it's also for the person who's been a Christian for you know, decades and has a great understanding of God's word, the depth. And the reason why that works for both is while knowledge is important of God's word, far greater is obedience to God's word. In other words, Think of it this way. If you have a whole lot of knowledge and you study God's word for a long time, there's a lot more you know about obeying, right? To if you just became a Christian, you only know John 3.16. In other words, your percentage is different than the person who's been knowing God's word forever. So you have a lot more of a challenge to actually live out your faith, to actually carry out what God's word says, To put it another way, your spiritual IQ should equal your spiritual I do. Your spiritual IQ should equal your spiritual IQ, or I do. Which is now, as he begins, let's get back into these verses here and read it to the end to get us a whole picture 
of what's going on here. And then we'll break this down and make sense out of it and apply it for us in fulfilling our mission for our life groups or through our life groups and how they can help us. So let's start again back in verse 11 of Hebrews chapter 5. About this, we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from the dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction about the teat washings and the laying of hands and the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is possible in the case of those who have once been enlightened who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drank and the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So there's the pullover, if you will, where dad turns around and says, kids, I gotta say something to you here. <laughs> I, I love to keep going on down the road and share something of the richness and, the, and just the amazing truths of who Christ is. But you're not ready for that. And so I have to give you some instruction here. And so from these verses, I want to remind you of how life groups, as we've designed them and set them up in our church, sermon-based life groups can help you grow, how they can keep you moving and growing towards spiritual maturity, how they can help you become more fully devoted followers of Christ. So I broke this down into um, an acronym, and, and uh, we're going to go through this here. But here they are. Life groups can help you ground yourself in the Word of God. They can help you ground yourself in the word of God. That's what's going on here in these first few verses of 11 to 14. When you ground yourself in the word of God as a life habit, as the norm rather than the exception, you are able to mature as a believer. That's how God has set it up. 
And this maturity comes from studying God's word. It, it comes uh, from the time that you spend in life groups learning from what, how and others have studied God's word. And you share that and you learn from one another. That's what's going on in the part of the first part of verse 12. This word maturity, it's the natural result that comes over time. It's the natural result that comes over time. But the problem here is that it's not happening as it's designed to happen. Like vegetation that we plant and we expect it to grow, it's not happening here in these people. And so to illustrate this point, the writer of Hebrews uses the metaphor of milk and solid food. Milk and solid food, we probably know about that. We're familiar with that. And so milk, well, think about that for a moment. It's the basic principles of the oracles of God or the elementary teachings or the truths of Scripture. Think of it as the ABCs. We use that around here. If you're Pastor Mike says that you got to admit that you're a sinner, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, and commit to following him, right? ABCs of Christianity, basically truths that Jesus loves you, that he died on the cross for you, he rose again, that your sins can be covered. Important foundational truths, but those are the basics from where we start from. And we build from there with Christ as our chief cornerstone. Solid food in this context, that's the next part, is Christ's ministry now in heaven and as he is our great high priest. And the work that he's doing in and through our lives or wants to do in and through our lives. So, so let me just take a second to illustrate the, the value of this and what we could miss out on and what I think the writer is trying to convey. So, so let's say this. Let's say that someone came to visit you who lives out of state, and, and you decide to, to go out to eat. And since we're in, living in this world where we basically kind of have to do takeout and pick up, you're like, hey, I got this great place to go to. And you say, let's go to In-N-Out. And they're like, okay, oh, In-N-Out. Oh, yeah, I've heard of In-N-Out. I'm like, great. Yeah, it's a great place to go. Yeah, I I've heard about their milk. Their milk? You mean their milkshakes, like I like to get, like Neapolitan shake? Uh, no. I I'm speaking of their milk. And you're thinking, uh, their milk? So you pull up to the drive-thru, and out comes the worker, right, for there, and he's the, hi, welcome in and out, can I take your order? And you say, go ahead and order. And the person says, I'd like milk. I'm like, I don't know either. I don't like, you know, right? Milk. Okay, if that's what you want, we'll get you milk. And so the, the guy comes out, you come up, and here's your tray, and here's your in and out milk. And you go, well, that's great. But, but can I tell you something else that you could get from in and out And you go, oh, there's something more. I'm like, yeah. By the way, I had them cater my wedding. We didn't serve milk. Oh, well, what else do they have? Number one. Number one, yeah, that's order number one. You definitely want this. This is what you want to get. This is what you're after. This is where the real solid goodness comes from. You can get your shake, not just milk. You can get your double-double, and you can have that, and you can get your fries. 
You can have them well done. You can have your burger uh, well done. You can have it with grilled onions. You can do a three by three, a four by four. You, you, you can, uh, I mean, you can do animals. I mean, there's so many ways you can enjoy this great solid food. And the person would be going, I, I don't know if I'm ready for that. And I'd be thinking, oh my goodness, you came to in and out from out of state and you're gonna settle for milk. Can you imagine that? Like, that's what we were going to do? That's what's coming on here. Maybe not in and out back in the Hebrew time, but the illustration of hope brings this to, to bear. And that that person that only wants milk has an immature understanding of what is available to them to enjoy. And it's in this direction that this writer's going, man, I want you to have so much more than just milk. Milk is good. I mean, I crave it, especially my wife makes chocolate chip cookies and they're coming out of the oven, right? It goes with it. It's the basics. We, we get that. But there's more to be had. Similarly, there is an immature understanding among the Hebrews. And that's what verses 12, 13, and 14 talk about. And the challenge is that this could happen to us too. This is why we offer our life groups to help us get more mature, to help ground yourself in the word of God. And when you're grounded in scripture, you can better distinguish good from evil, which is at the end there of verse 14. What else can life groups do? Life groups can help you resolve to mature as a believer to resolve to mature as a believer. That's what verses one to three talk about. So no matter how much a parent loves their newborn baby, they all have a desire, grandparents have a desire to see it grow, right? We wanna see it, the baby grow. Similarly, God has the same desire for his children, which is to see them grow, which is why verse one of chapter six instructs us to go on to maturity, to move beyond milk, to, to take more food in. There's something good that are there for you. And so life groups are intended to help you not only mature as a believer, but to help you make your resolve to mature as a believer. That you'd be determined to not only not lay again a foundation of repentance, and what happens there is there's six foundational truths that are laid out in verses one to two of, of chapter six. In other words, you've laid a foundation. You know your ABCs. Now move along. Now move forward. Now mature. Let God carry you along as a believer from infancy to maturity. And I want you to look at verse three of chapter six. And this we will do, in other words, going on to maturity, maturing, moving from milk to solid food, if God permits. And, and I just want to stay, take a second just to keep in mind what's going on here. And it's this. If a believer possesses any spiritual maturity, if you've grown it all through your life groups, if there's any spiritual growth, it must be God and not you. And you think, wait a minute, I, I've done a lot of work. I, I don't doubt that. 
But if there's any spiritual growth, any spiritual maturity, it is God who is doing the growing. How do I know this? I'm so glad you asked that. Bill, do you have a verse for that? Yes, I do. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, I planted, there's the gospel, Apollos watered, there's discipleship, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants, Paul, or he who waters, Apollos, or any of us as leaders in life groups or, or pastors, are anything but only God who gives the growth, which is why I love how the writer here says, if God permits, if God is the one who brings about the growth, then he's the one who gets the glory. He's the one who's done the work. So if there's any good in you, it's because of him. He's the one who brought the growth. So you resolve to mature as a believer, but God is the one who's going to make that happen. God is going to be the one who make that happen. A number of years ago, Pam and I went to Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa on a Monday night. Greg Laurie was speaking, and I had had some surfer friends that had gone from time to time and said, hey, you got to go. And so I did. And this particular night, Pam and I went on our own. And at the end of the service, this girl walks up to us and says, hey, Bill, hey, Pam. We're like, it's Jocelyn. Bet you're surprised to see me here, aren't you? Uh, yeah, have to admit that. I know. Because you saw me in a youth group that I was in, right? Oh, yeah. And you saw who I was hanging out with, right? Yeah. And you didn't think I would go on to maturity, that I would have a resolve to mature as a believer. I know. No fault. Just it's reality. But then she went on, I don't remember the details, she just went on to explain how God had got a hold of her and how she had made a decision to resolve, to be determined, man, I am going to be disciplined in going to church and studying God's word, of being in fellowship with other believers, studying God's word. And so I would just ask you to stop and think for yourself, whether you're here in person or watching online, have you made it your resolve to mature as a believer? Where, where's that for you? Where's that for you as you head into this winter quarter starting next week? That's why we're presenting life groups to you, because they can help you with this. What else can life groups help you with? They can help you observe all the warnings in Scripture. They can help you observe all the warnings in Scripture. That's what Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6 speak of. These verses, if you were to take time, and we had time to go back and read them and dissect them more and more, well, they're some of the most difficult verses in all of Scripture to understand and interpret and apply. In fact, it's interesting. In every commentary I wrote, read this past week about this, the author, each author gave a story <laughs> about how people would come to them and ask them, what does this mean? What's the significance? How do you explain this? Please help me know. So what's, what's going on here? Well, just look at verse four. It's impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Those are attributes, characteristics of a believer, right? At least it would seem. And then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. And this is where the challenge comes of interpreting this passage of Scripture, these verses. So what's the issue about and what's it not about? 
It is not about the verse four and five, about the characteristics of a believer in Christ. What the issue is about is it's put together at the beginning of verse four and in verse six. And it goes like this. It's impossible to restore them again to repentance. And that's why you'll see in commentaries a huge section of them addressing this. Like, what does this mean? How do we interpret this passage? And so here's how some have interpreted it. They've interpreted that this as apostasy. This is a person who once was following Christ and now has rejected Christ and has now turned away and is not following Christ. It's possible that could be the interpretation to have. Another interpretation of this passage, it's the loss of salvation. That they once were saved and now they've walked away and they've lost their salvation. Well, in the first version of, of, of apostasy, the, the word for apostasy is actually not used in this passage. So that's one of the struggles of interpreting this, if it's that. Loss of salvation, well, Scripture teaches elsewhere that we can't lose our salvation. That's a view that I hold. The church here, uh, you know, as, as we look at that and saying, hey, there's eternal security. God's called us and chosen us. The other version is maybe interpretation is maybe it's a profession of all the right words, but there's not really salvation. In other words, they know all of it, the lingo. They can pass the test on what you're supposed to say, but there's not really life transformation. Yet in the scripture, in the text of the description of these people, you would think, oh man, I don't know. They've tasted everything. They've seen everything. Does that, is that permissible? Possibly. And then there's another one, is what I call repentance and rebellion. And, and I'm not here to focus and try and say, hey, this is the right one. This is kind of where I've arrived at. And here's the reason, an option, with this option, it's repentance and rebellion. And it's found in the Greek here of the word crucifying the son again and holding or subjecting them to contempt, subjecting Christ to contempt or disgrace. And, and the, the words here in the Greek, it's a present active participle. In other words, it's an ongoing activity of rebellion and sin against God. That's what's happening here. And here's the interpretation and where this goes. It's impossible to repent while at the same exact time continuing to rebel against God in sin. You can't have it both ways. And the reason why is because repentance means to turn away from your sin and turn to God and go forward in your walk with God. That's the idea of repentance. That's the significance of it. So repentance means to stop and to turn and go the opposite direction from sin and to God. So if you are here today and you're seeking to live a life of repentance for Christ, I would say keep on keeping on. This is not a concern for you. You are living and seeking to live a life of repentance. And so again, you could go on for days and write chapters on this. And I don't have a whole lot more to say about it because of this that I want to communicate. Of far greater importance, okay? Of far greater importance here is to take these verses as a reminder to observe all the warnings in Scripture. To not miss what's in here. If you go into the New Testament and you look at what Jesus said, he gave all kinds of warnings about false teachers and about falsely professing that you are a follower of Christ. The Apostle Paul gave warnings about false teachings and false doctrines. 
And so a far greater importance is to pay attention, to see, to be alert, to notice the warnings that you find in Scripture, which is really at the heart of what this person is trying to do. It's like, guys, I want you to warn you. I want you to see what could happen if you continue to live apart from God. And so the point of the warnings to the believer is to be alert, to observe the warnings in Scripture. You see, warnings are intended to be useful. And more warnings become more and more as we continue to be in a society that seems to want to protect everybody and sometimes overprotect. I wish that maybe I'd listened a little better on that day, that summer day, back when I was going into the sixth grade, when I was given the instruction to take our lawnmower on our farm and go behind the shop and mow down all the tall grass. I'm sure there was a warning on the back of the lawnmower not to push on the back of the lawnmower for your foot could slip underneath. I missed that warning. And I won't go into the gory details of what happened because you're not junior high boys and high school boys, but it got pretty gory. And what's interesting now is that if you look at the back of my lawnmower and many lawnmowers, there is a guard on the back. And I like to think when I look at that, like I'm a statistic. I'm a reason why that's there today. Because I missed the warning. And it's saying, I'm trying to protect you. Just in case you want to know, yes, I do have my toes. There's a scar still that's there, but I do have my toes. Um, it ruined my NFL career because I couldn't run as fast now. And so that's, that's that, right? But that's another story. Um, but, but like the rear guard on the lawnmower is life groups that can help you overcome and observe all the warnings in Scripture so that your spiritual growth is not cut off. Make sense? That's why the warnings are there. Life groups can finally help you watch your spiritual progress. They can help you watch your spiritual progress. The writer used an agricultural analogy in verses seven to eight. Just, he says here, he says, for land that has drank the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful for those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. And then he says, but if it bears thistles and, and, and thorns, it is worthless and near to being cursed and is in, ends up being burned. And so there's this pruning effect that's going on. So the idea here is that a field proves its worth by producing or yielding fruit, a good crop, if you will. And a believer, similarly, validates their faith through spiritual progress, like that fertile field that grows, right? And that spiritual progress is spiritual fruit, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruit of the Spirit. And what he's saying is your life is blessed and God is glorified when this growth in this fertile soil, if you will, and you can think about the parable of the soils with that, and I tie that in here, to this idea of watching your spiritual progress. In life groups, one of my favorite things is that we learn from one another. The idea of Scripture saying that iron sharpens iron is what unfolds in our groups. 
And what the cool part is, is that what isn't fruitful is pruned back. You see, because you get to learn from others and how God's pruned in their life, the thorns and the, and the thistles and whatnot. And then as they speak and you're saying, the Holy Spirit works in you and his word and you go, oh, there's an area that I need to work on too. I think you want to prune in my life so that there's greater fruit. There's a greater glory brought to God in my life as I live it. Honoring him by helping more people become fully devoted followers of Christ. And so from Hebrews 5.11 to 6.8, there's this heavy tone on, that the writer brings here. It's rebuke of sorts, right? It's pretty heavy as I looked at it. It's like warning, 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 warning. But verse 9, I look at this and I read this and it seems to me that the tone changes. It's as though the cloud, the storm has, has passed, the clouds come out and the sun is shining. Look at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, everything that he's brought up, everything that we've looked at so far, yet in your case, beloved, we, should, we feel sure of better things. In other words, this hasn't been most of you. Most of you, and I would say most of us, if not all of us, are able to see and experience these better things. Things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name or in his name in serving, blessing, loving the saints as you still do. In other words, you're doing this. This is ongoing. This isn't a thing to say, hey, you need to start doing it. No, they are doing this. And we desire each of you to show the same eagerness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish. There's that word there, the other version of this, that word in a trough, which is dull in verse 1. Now it's sluggish. But imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. In other words, they're living, they're progressing, they're growing in their journey and walk with God. In other words, hey, Hebrew believers, you are growing and progressing spiritually. Keep on going. And by the way, I've watched it. I'm watching your spiritual progression. Most importantly, God is watching your spiritual progression. Do you ever stop and think about that? In the time that you take out to study God's word, God is watching you do that? And that pleases him? That you have the ability to bless and honor and glorify God as you do that? He's seeing your love for him and your love for one another when you serve and as we do that as in service through groups as we carry out God's word and serving others. So Hebrew believers, keep going, keep keeping on, keep going. So that verse 12, you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so as I thought about this, and I thought, you know, <laughs> I don't know if I say it, but I should. I should say thank you to Pam and to Cam and to Steve and to Roy and Susan 
Chris and Yoon and Adam and Sandra and Jeff and Cindy, those people that are in my life group, because of you, I have been able to watch, though not tell you, my spiritual progress happening. Because of your commitment to God's word and your desire to grow. And yeah, I'm a pastor. That's what they tell me I am. But at the end of the day, beyond that, I am just a follower of Jesus, just trying to walk and follow what his word says. And you in my group have helped me watch, help me watch and see, hey, I think there's work that needs to be done in my life. I feel conviction. I'm learning from you, and I want to continue that progress. And so I just want to say thank you. Now it's on video for everyone to watch and see for my group and go back and see, said, Bill did say thank you. Thank you to me for being there. And so to them in my group and to all of you, let me conclude by saying it's grow time. It's grow time. Get ready. Get ready. Life groups begin the week of January 17th. That's next week. Get ready for that. Look at your schedule. Look at your planner. Make sure that you are getting ready for groups to start up again. Next, I want to challenge you to get informed. Get informed. We have this handout in the back. And this is how you get informed about groups. If you go to the back, it lists our leaders of who are leading, what kind of group it is, the date and the time, and the location. And there's a breakdown whether they're meeting in person or meeting virtually or doing both. So be informed about that on this. You can also go to our website and you can learn about it there. And then last, I want to challenge you to get connected. If you're not in a group, I want to challenge you to get connected to one. The response cards are on the, uh, on the, the chairs there. You can say just life group and turn that in today in the baskets in the back so that we can follow up with you. If you're watching online, there's the online response card that you can fill out and do. Also put in there an email, info at gracehills.com. Info at gracehills.com. That'll get to me, and I can help you get connected to a group. Friends, it's grow time. This is the opportunity God's given us as a church, so let's grow together. Amen? Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Lord, for the milk that you began with us and the solid word that you provide in your word that can, Lord, help us continue to grow. Lord, we desire to do that, to continue to ground ourselves in the scriptures. Lord, to resolve to be a mature believer, to observe the warnings that we find in scripture. And as we do it, Lord, to watch the spiritual progress and to celebrate, God, what you're doing. For it is, God, you are the one, as your word tells us, that brings the growth. And God, we pray, if it pleases you, if it's your will, that we would continue to grow in the grace and knowledge in you, that, God, that we would be honoring you so that we as a church collectively and we as individuals in our life groups would become more fully devoted to you, God, and it's for your glory and in your name we pray and ask this. Amen.